0: This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Good morning, church family. It's good to be together here in the house of the Lord today at Windsor Road Christian Church. I want to welcome you both in person and uh, online. It's good to be together here to begin our week um, worshiping and uh, just uh, making much of the God that we love so very, very much. So uh, my name is Randy and I'm just a Privilege to be the lead minister here at the church and if you are feeling new I uh, would love to have the opportunity to spend some time with you in a place called the fireside room through these glass doors and to the right my wife Sarah and I our elders and staff would be there to it's kind of our hospitality space and we just want you to feel like you've come home so uh, that's where I'll be uh, that's where I'll be afterwards so we'd love to to visit with you and if you have any prayer requests uh, we've got cards in the uh, pouch in front of you, uh, pick a card and put something on it <laughs> and let us know you're here and let us know what your prayer requests are. There's, there's a card there for prayer requests, there's a card there if you're first time here, there's a card if you've been here for 34 years, that's how long I've been here, so anyway, but uh, uh, we, we, we truly are delighted. To be together here in this com- community. And speaking of community, um, I had such a great time with uh, about 40 of our brothers in Christ here at the church last night at our cookout. It was our cookout that ended up being inside just because of the, the, of the winter weather. But uh, we didn't let that stop us from having just a good time of uh, fellowship. And uh, just uh, quickly scroll through some of these uh, slides here. Uh, uh, it was a very really simple night. We had prayer. We ate hot dogs and we talked and uh, did that for about an hour and a half. And then then we then we then we went home. Uh, but it was just a great, great time uh, to be together. And I'm just grateful to Brother Chuck Simpson for organizing that. Yeah. Amen. And uh, um, so hope that we get uh, many times throughout the year to just connect and and to be together here. So um Uh, Just uh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So if you are feeling new to the church here, um, or if you've been here for quite some time, at some point in time, at some point in time, it is very likely that this question will uh, just surface in your thinking. And it's just a simple question. What are we doing here? what what what's going on here okay what's happening in this gathering and what i mean what are we doing here i mean like right now what what's going on here uh if if that question has ever come to you i think you'll be interested in our text today if you have your bibles would you please meet me in the New Testament book of Hebrews? Hebrews, we're in chapter 12 today. And we're going to be looking at verses 18 to 29. 2,000 years ago, a Christian pastor wrote a sermon. And it's this sermon to the Hebrews. It's a letter to the Hebrews. That, that's what this is. This is a sermon manuscript. And this sermon came to a house church that met in likely the capital of the Roman Empire, Rome itself, this world power, uh, where this little house church met probably before the year 70 A.D., 70 A.D. And this little church had experienced a wave of persecution for Jesus. And they're going to get more persecution later. But there's been imprisonment. There's been verbal intimidation. There's been property confiscation, property loss. All of it because they're gathering and they're worshiping. And they're singing, great is Jesus, worthy of all, to be worshipped only, persecuted because they prayed together, persecuted because they had communion together, persecuted because of their love for one another. And when they gathered in that little house church, it wasn't a homogenous group. I mean, there were people from all different ethnicities and nations and and, uh, social locations and occupations and generations. And Jesus was the one that kept them together. And they were paying a price for that. And as they gathered for worship, I can just guarantee you that at least one person in that group was asking the question, what it, why are we here? What's going on? Is this the best use of our time? Yeah. Well, our verses answer that question. And um, it answers it this way. Our text tells us what this is not and then what it is. What you've not come to And what you have come to. In fact, those are the exact words. Here's what you have not come to. Here's what you have come to. And and so I want you to follow along with me as I read Hebrews 12, 18 to 29. I I put a tag on this message. Did anything happen? Did anything happen? Hear these words from the Word. For you have not come... To what may be touched a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable Angels in festal gathering, and to the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. This is the word of the Lord. Did you catch it? What it's not and what it is? Did, Did you hear So our text today tells the tale of two mountains. That's what this is about. That's what I want you to think about when you think about these verses. This this is the tale of two mountains. The, The first mountain, we heard seven descriptions of gloomy darkness. The second mountain gave us seven descriptions of joyful delight. The first mountain contains the unbearable weight of law. The second contains the very life of grace. The first declares the failed attempts to approach God on our own efforts. The second declares our destiny in Christ based on his efforts. The first mountain is what we've been rescued from. The second mountain is what we've been rescued for. The, the first mountain is what our church would be like without Jesus Christ. The second is who we are because of Jesus Christ. You see. A tale of two mountains. The first mountain called Sinai, and the second mountain called Zion. Sinai. Sinai. Sinai represents life devoid of grace in the futile pursuit of law-keeping. Sinai. So in verses 18 to 21, the preacher uh, recounts the book of Exodus. God had brought Israel out of Egypt through the Red Sea. And through Moses, God guided Israel to a place called Sinai. And, and you've got to understand so it's the sermon to the hebrews so the audience is predominantly though not exclusively hebrew so they're going to know these stories so the preacher can speak in shorthand so to speak and so he just kind of gives a he a compressed uh account of what's going on in exodus chapters 19 and 20 god had brought israel out of egypt through the red sea and through moses god guided israel to a place called sinai and it's there at sinai when god would give them the gift of his law the the ten commandments and and moses was told to have the people prepare themselves god's presence was about to uh, descend to the top of mount sinai it's as if god was saying now that i have rescued you let me introduce myself to you and so they're about to meet the god of abraham and isaac and jacob and joseph they've they've talked about this god they've they've in The best they could in 400 years of Egyptian slavery worship this God. Now they're going to meet this God. They're going to meet this God. And so they come to the very edge of the foothills of Sinai. And God warned them, you come no closer. Just write down Exodus 19. Exodus 19 verses 16 to 20. Exodus 19 verses 16 to 20. It says, on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and thick clouds. Loud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast you see how that's repeated in the Hebrews uh, sermon there in chapter 12 uh, a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. It says now Mount Sinai Exodus 19 18 was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly and as the sound of the trumpet it grew louder and louder. Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Exodus 19. Wow, what would that have been like to have been there? Huh. I think the word trembling was used more than once in that paragraph. You see, what's going on was the the first and only time that God appeared to the entire nation as a group. Right there. So, So Israel has been called together, and they're about to have church. And God is the preacher. Talk about experiential worship. And yet, the thrill of meeting and worshiping their rescuer from Egypt quickly wilted into sheer terror. And you know why, don't you? I mean, it's not because God is a cosmic bully, it's not because God is moody or temperamental. You know why? It's because God is God. God is God. And what happened on Sinai was the unmediated, undiluted presence of the holy God, the the God of the mesocyclone, the God of the EF5 tornado, the God of the Category 5 hurricane. Sinai reveals the God who is a living and consuming fire the god who exists in unstoppable unapproachable glory sinai shows the god who is not the god that's in my mind i i'm I'm thinking about that time when my 34 year old son was three years old and it was around the fourth of It was on the fourth of july and he kept saying dad i want to go see the fireworks dad i want to go see the fireworks dad i want to go see the fire okay son we'll go see the fireworks we're gonna go see the fireworks and the fireworks were down off the campus now right by the stadium you know right there at the grounds and so dad i want to go see we're going to go see the fireworks we're going to go see the fireworks and so we went and we uh, parked as close as we could put him in the stroller and we were uh uh, you know walking there and he was telling everybody all day i'm gonna go see the fireworks i'm gonna go see the fireworks see the fireworks it's gonna be fun it's gonna see the fireworks as only a three-year-old can repeat over and over and over again i'm gonna go see the fireworks and so so the fireworks, when are the fireworks coming death? The fireworks are coming. They're going to be coming. You just need to wait. They're going to be coming. Of course, you know, when it was time for last light, we were there. We were just, we were like at ground zero. And the fireworks, and he's in the stroller. And then then at the time, you know, you heard the <laughs> explosion, boom, followed by, We just got here. We have 30 more minutes of this. (laughs) No, we didn't. Were you with us at the time? You were. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, not a great dad move, you know. Not a great dad move. But I mean, there it is, right? What we think it is in our mind versus what it actually is. And that's what we're looking at on Sinai. We're looking at the God who is. The undiluted unmediated presence of a white, hot, holy God. Sinai incinerates anything that smacks of consumeristic religion. And and, and in Exodus chapter 20, in Exodus 20, God's sermon was the Ten Commandments. And the experience was so unnerving that Israel cried out to Moses, we can't take it! You know, I want to go home. (laughs) Like We can't take it. And they told Moses, you talk to us from now on lest we die. Lest we die. Now think about this. Israel never actually saw God. They had merely heard him speak. And there was the experience of the smoke and the kiln and the thunder. Uh, uh, his, God's blazing glory was cloaked by smoke and darkness. It was the appearance of God that wasn't. See. You see the point of the picture in Hebrews? Sinai is the sum of all that the preacher has been saying about angels and Moses and Joshua and Melchizedek and the prophets and the tabernacle offering system of the former covenant. Sinai bundles everything that we've been talking about since last September bundles it all together in, in one grouping and says, do you realize that if you leave Christianity, Sinai is all that's left? See. So Sinai is what we would look like without Jesus. Sinai is a place devoid of grace. And Sinai is where it's just you and your personal moral resume stacked up against the white-hot holiness of God's law. And everything about this picture says, stay away. Don't come closer. And, and, and brothers and sisters, I, I don't want to be misunderstood on this. It's not, that, it's not because Sinai is bad or evil. Okay, It's not because God is bad or evil. This is not a Sinai is bad, Zion is good kind of message. That's not not what's going on here. Sinai simply teaches us the futility of law-keeping. And by law, I mean this. Keep the commands, escape the punishment, break the commands, suffer the punishment. It's that simple. If, If you choose to relate to God based on your ability to be good or moral, or keep the law, you better bring your perfect game. Because there's no margin for error. None whatsoever. James chapter 2, verse 10, I think is one of the most difficult verses in the Bible to believe. And here's what it says. Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking all of it. And yet, People still try to bring their perfect game. And some spend their lives trying to scale the unscalable Sinai. And when they fail, they're plagued with guilt and shame. They're anxious about where they stand with God. They're always feeling like they've fallen short, that that they're damaged goods, that the trembling, trembling describes the life of the one on Sinai. Because Sinai stands for any self-rescue project. Any endeavor to save or sanctify or satisfy myself on my own terms and in my own power. What Mount Sinai are you being tempted to scale these days? Hmm? Where are you getting your self-worth? Is it some inner circle that you're trying to break into? You know, trying to impress the boss to get the boss's blessing. Striving to get in the right house or, you know, because you've got the right education and you want to get into the right neighborhood because you've landed the right job. What's your Sinai? What, what, what is the Sinai that you're trying to scale that really is just a, a self-rescue project? huh? You know, Sinai will make you miserable when you fail. You become the kind of person who inflicts a gloomy storm on others. How many of us know of people who, who lead out of fear and intimidation? How many of us have heard stories of bosses who have just a sadistic joy of making those who report to them feel uncertain or unsettled or they try to pit the team against each other all in the name of trying to keep people on their toes? Some churches are like Mount Sinai. They project unapproachability by unapproachable leadership led by an unapproachable pastor. The notion of an inner circle where only a few favorites can enter. Man, if you fail the climb, it's anguish. If you make the climb, it's arrogance. Oh, and all for nothing. Because because once you've ascended the mountain and you get to the top, where's God? Nowhere. Nowhere. I believe intentionally verses 18 to 21 do not contain the name God. Look at that, verses 18 to 21. The, the, the name God does not even appear. So, so, so you've, you've done all of that work to get all the way up that mountain for no reason at all, no reason at all. It's a wasted trip. What, what's, what's listed is the effect that law-keeping has on you. Fear, terror, and fatigue. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one, uh, one scholar, uh, uh, author by the name of A.W. Pink, once said that the greatest mistake people make is trying to find in themselves what can only be found in Christ. Yeah. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. You actually, you actually need Sinai. <laughs> well, after all you've said, Pastor, now I'm really confused. Stay with me. You need, you need Sinai to teach you how much you need Zion. See, 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 see. That, you, you do. Uh, uh, a pastor several hundred years ago by the name of Martin Luther put it this way, the law... The law reveals guilt, fills the conscience with terror, and drives us to despair. So, so the law, so Sinai kills so that Zion can resurrect us. And, and that's, see, you, because good news is only good news compared to bad news. What's the bad news? The bad news is what Sinai shows us about the reality of law-keeping. So, and and that's why the preacher quickly makes the turn. You have not come to Sinai. You, you bed the Sinai. You have to get, everyone has to find their Sinai. You just do. Because without Sinai, you won't know your need for, for, for Zion. The law kills, but the gospel gives life. That's why the point of Christianity, the point of Christianity is not behavior modification. The point of Christianity is resurrection. That's it. And so here, here's the big idea. You've, you've not come to this, you've come to that. This is not Zion. That is, uh, this is not Sinai. This is Zion, and, and on Zion is not gloom. on Zion is a party. Come to the party. Mount Zion is an everlasting gospel party hosted by King Jesus. Oh, worship the King. Look at the text. Look at the text. I'm not making this up. You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God. You've you've come to the heavenly Jerusalem. This is the Jerusalem of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10. It's the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. So, so we're seeking a coming city. The, the heavenly Jerusalem is the city of our citizenship, our citizenship because of Christ. So, so think about this. Our hometown is a place we've never been. And you've come to myriads, myriads, I use the word myriads, uh, ESV says innumerable. What's innumerable mean? Myriads. What's a myriads mean? Innumerable. Myriads, innumerable, innumerable. Angels in festal gathering. Fe- what's that word festal means? It means party. There's a party going on in heaven. And usually when you have that many angels together, someone's about ready to get attacked, like Babylon or Assyrian, right? right? But here, these angels, they're throwing a party. They're throwing a party. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You you, you ever seen angels dance? You will. It's in in the New Jerusalem. The New Jerusalem's a party. There's no party on Sinai. So who would want to go back to that? And you've come, you've come to you the city of the living God, and to myriads of angels, and to the church of the firstborn enrolled in heaven. Oh, what a phrase. So the entire people of God are under the banner of firstborn. Firstborn. Yeah, verse 23 firstborn enrolled in heaven so so we are in christ and christ is the father's firstborn and because we are united with christ and in christ what's true of christ is true of us our names are enrolled that means they're written etched inscribed and it's in the perfect tense which doesn't mean just in the past it means it's permanent it's indelible ink is what it is. Church of the firstborn, enrolled in heaven. And you've come to God, the judge of all. The judge of all. Sometimes we think of the word God judging as, as something, you know, that's 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 dark and grave. And well, here though, it's relief because finally, finally, perpetual injustice. Will have a funeral. Finally, finally, there's the judge of heaven and earth who will set right to every wrong. Finally, all of us want a judge who will punish evil and vindicate the innocent. And finally, in the New Jerusalem, Oh my goodness, it happens. It happens. And you've come and you've come to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Do you see that in verse 23? That that's that's every, who who are those? That's every believer that we read about in Hebrews chapter 11 and it's every believer who has passed from this life into paradise with Christ. They've been made perfect. How? Oh, keep reading, keep reading. The list of seven aspects crescendos and culminates in verse 24. You have come to, what's that word? What's that word? Jesus. You've come to Jesus. Now, notice it doesn't say you've come to Christ or you've come to the Messiah, or you've come to the Lord. All that's true, but the preacher wants it absolutely clear that you have come to the historic Jesus of Nazareth, the Jesus who trod this earth in space-time history, the Jesus who taught, the Jesus who did signs and wonders, the Jesus who endured the cross, the Jesus who rose from the dead bodily, and the Jesus who now rules. This Jesus is our meeting. If you will help me out, I won't have to work so hard, church. This is our destiny. Jesus is the point of Hebrews. He's our go-between. He's he's why we party. And you ask, what are we doing here in this worship service? It ain't Sinai. It's Zion. Zion. That's a call to pure joy. I'm um, the contrast between, between Sinai and Zion could not be clearer. And and just in case it needs to be clearer, the preacher says, You've come to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Do you know? Do you know that the blood of Jesus still speaks, don't you? The, 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 the blood and the life of Jesus. The blood is Life is in the blood, right? So when you think about the blood of Jesus, think about the life of Jesus. So the life of Jesus still speaks. When, when we receive communion here in just a moment, we're reminded by these tangible symbols that which triggers our memory that Jesus still speaks. He, and he speaks, the scripture says, a better word than the blood of Abel abel remember back in genesis cain and abel abel who was murdered by cain and 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 so whereas abel's blood cries out for justice jesus blood cries out for grace whereas abel's blood speaks against the guilty jesus blood speaks for the guilty Whereas Abel's blood drove Cain away from God, Jesus' blood draws us near to God. Whereas Abel's blood spoke a condemning word, Jesus' blood speaks a saving word. Whereas Abel's blood was that of a man, Jesus' blood is that of the God-man, the eternal Son of God. Whereas Abel's blood declares punishment, Jesus' blood declares pardon. Jesus' blood speaks. And in the past, God spoke through the prophets and our fathers. But in these last days, he has spoken by his Son. Jesus is the better word. I think that little church needed to hear this. I mean, they're in a they're in a house church. Okay? They're in a house church. So, so they're in someone's, you know, domain. And and whatever that looked like, it was not the pageantry of the Old Testament tabernacle system with incense and ornate robes and the sounds of musicians. They lacked the choreography of a halftime Super Bowl show. They lacked the spectacle of Roman temples dedicated to the Caesars. I mean, they could at least endure their persecution if, if they could see some fireworks in the worship service, but nothing seemed to be happening. There's no whirlwind. We're in a living room. What's going on here? What are we doing here? The preacher said to that church then, and this church now, here's what's going on. You have come, not you have come, not you might come. Not if the music matches our expectations. Not if, you know, we get innovative enough. Not if we feel our pulses race. No, 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 no. The preacher says, you have come to Mount Zion. You've come to Jesus. You've come to the blood that speaks a better word. Beloved, the power of worship is not contingent on us, but on the God who has come near in Jesus. And make no mistake, Jesus' gospel party is not limited to one place. So then, on this day, right here, right now, to the gathering of 50 in a building somewhere that holds 500, the preacher says, you've come to Mount Zion. To the assembly in a storefront that can't get away from city sirens, the preacher says, you've come to Mount Zion. To a house church in rural Nepal, no bigger than that band pit, The preacher says to the church, you've come to Mount Zion. To a small church huddled on the seventh floor of a European apartment, the preacher says, you've come to Mount Zion. To the beachside gathering of two dozen or an Easter Sunday service of 1,200 in southwest Champaign, the preacher says, you've come to Mount Zion. Do you realize what's happening here, right here, right now? We join worship with the heavenly world. We're not limited by a house, a church facility, or a property. We meet with angels in worship. We come before God in worship. We honor the Christ whose blood speaks a better word. And we worship with congregations all over the world brothers and sisters in the lord who share in the lord's supper on this day in countless languages from various tribes and nations and uh, we sing in various languages to remind us that we're not alone and when you share the lord's supper you're a part of Christ's global church, brothers and sisters in Christ, from the Dominican Republic, from Ukraine, from Russia, from Kenya, the Philippines, Thailand, Haiti. Something's happening in worship. Yeah. Yeah, and do you understand not just what happens and what happens to you in worship? Verse 28. Let us be Grateful. Let us be grateful. Let, literally, let us have grace. So, so, graceful gratitude is our worshipful response to divine generosity. So, gratitude is our response to God for his generosity to us. Zion evokes that which Sinai can never evoke, and that's gratitude. You'll never become Grateful staying at Sinai. You got to go to Zion. You got to go to Zion where you'll feel the gratitude for the God who chose us before the foundations of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. Gratitude for the God whose Son purchased our salvation by His all sufficient death on the cross. Gratitude that God the Holy Spirit dwells in us. And we are his temple. We are his dwelling place. And gratitude that no matter what happens on earth, we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Oh, church. You know, we may not hear the voice of God as it shook the earth at Sinai, but in worship, we hear the voice of Christ who speaks to us in all of our circumstances. So faith, listen, faith is the skill of trusting the living word you hear over the fading world you see. You you missed that. Let me say that again. (laughs) Faith is the skill of trusting the living word you hear. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God the skill of trusting the living word you hear over the fading world you see. See? And Jesus speaks a better word. Do you know what he says when he speaks? He says, I love you. I choose you. I want you. I forgive you. I will never, ever leave you or forsake you. Ever. Man, that's extraordinary, isn't it? And I think there's a temptation. I think there's a temptation with anything extraordinary, and it's the temptation to become so accustomed to it that we no longer see it or appreciate it. One summer, and it was the summer that we had just an exceptionally, um, you know, bumper crop in, in in this part of the country. You know, um, it was a delightful summer. I mean, the weather was just really. Just just stellar in every way. And that particular summer, my, my older brother, he, he had some business in the Midwest. And so he finished his business a day early, and he called, and he said, look, I, I've got a, an extra day, and I'd like to come over and spend the night and just see you. And I said, well, yeah. And so he came, and so after dinner, there was still plenty of sunlight out, and it was a pleasant summer evening. I said, you know, is there anything particular that you would like to do while you're here in town? And he said, yes. I said, well, What? He said, "Well, I want to see I want to see the farms." I said, "Excuse me?" He said, "I want to see the cornfields. I want to see the I want to see the bean fields. Take me to see some farms." I said, "Get in the car." <laughs> you know? And 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 so we just went out. We just we just kind of took some county roads out and you saw 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 the sea of corn right and uh, you, you you won't find that in 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 august in oklahoma you just won't it's 105 <laughs> you won't and there's tornadoes all over everywhere but we went out and we saw this sea of corn we saw the fields we drove out by saint joe and drove out by sydney think we made a pit stop at the dairy barn? (laughs) It was a party! And then I realized just then I had become so accustomed to the privileges of living in this community with such choice farmland and all the material privileges that it offers and the affluence that it gives. Not to speak of the beauty and the scenery. I, I just hadn't appreciated it like I used to. The greatest wonders can easily become routine, don't you think? Even a party. And when a party becomes routine, we're tempted to think of this great privilege only in terms of what it does for us. And it's easy for us to think of a church this way, too. But these verses tell us that we have come to Zion. And it may be for us, but it's not about us. So then see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. God our Father has provided these privileges in Christ by grace through faith. And to worship God at Zion is to approach the Lord in celebratory awe. It's not about us. It's about him. And when we come before him, things happen. And you know why things happen, don't you? It's because our God is a consuming fire.